Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Hope all of you are having a pleasant Tuesday so far. You're listening to the newest episode of the Believe in a Hub of Champions podcast with your host, Shukri Wright. Here with you for another episode. This time, for the first time, on back-to-back days. Wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening, I appreciate you as always. Hit subscribe, download, rate the podcast. Those of you listening on iHeartRadio, I salute you. And wherever you can get the podcast is where you can also listen to the podcast as well. Also want to drop a reminder that you can listen to this podcast on a tune-in betting Believe in Betting radio stream. That's where you could also hear the podcast nationwide as well. So just want to simply say thank you for making the time to listen to the podcast today. So last night the Red Sox played the opening series against the Pittsburgh Pirates in which that the Red Sox lost 7-6. to And what was a, it was a wild game. It was a wild game from beginning to end in which the Red Sox fell behind early. And in the bottom of the first inning, it was an inning of first in which Yoshida hit his first big league home run. And as well as Tristan Cassis hit hit his first big league home run. And listen... I mean, my goodness, it was it was just incredible. And also, not, not to be forgotten, Rafael Devers hit his first home run as part of that crazy first inning. So here's that bottom of the first inning for you. Rafael Devers hits his first of the year. Mats- Matsataka Yoshida, he hit a two-run shot. And then that tied it up. And then Tristan Cassis hit his first big league homer with a two-run homer and put the Sox ahead 5-3. to three. And then... From there, things unrivaled. But if we're going to be completely honest, Cutter Crawford didn't even look right from the first inning on, which his pitches were up in his own. He was shaky in terms of his command. And after he was given a, a first, first inning lead, essentially he just gave it right back to the, um, to the Pirates. Because Brian Reynolds, he hit that solo homer. And then in the third inning, Jack Sawinski, he tied the game with, a, with an RBI single. So the Pirates have a 7-5 lead in the fourth when, when Jason DeLay and Brian Reynolds, they hit solo shots. And Brian Reynolds, that was the second homer of the game. And, the, and by the way, Cutter Crawford, he allowed three homers when he was behind in the count. And I want to touch on that for just a moment because... If there's anything that deserves your attention early on for the Boston Red Sox, it's the fact that the Red Sox, for whatever reason or not, they're giving up a lot of runs. We know that the pitching was going to be a big question mark, and I talked about that on yesterday's podcast. But last night, I thought it was particularly telling when Cutter Crawford couldn't give you a quality start. You were given a lead and you couldn't hold on to the lead. And now, this morning, Tuesday morning, at the time of this recording, the Boston Red Sox have allowed 
the most home runs in the major leagues. They have allowed 10 home runs, and that's the most in the sport through the first four games. But we know that, again, it's early, but the signs are rather troubling. The Boston Red Sox cannot keep the ball in the yard. And for a team that has shown you already that they can score runs, that, that's not the concern. So far in 2023, the Boston Red Sox have scored a, more than 30 runs. They scored nine plus runs in the first three games of the season against Baltimore. Last night, they scored six more runs. So that's so that's a little north of 30 runs through, as a grand total through the team's first four games. But you can't expect this offense to score nine, ten runs every night if your pitching is not going to hold it down. And that's precisely the reason why I figured that today's episode to start out would be about the Red Sox pitching and why there is reason to be concerned. So far, you've only got one decent start in the team's first four games. One decent start, and I'm being very generous here, and that was the Tanahoek start. That's it. That is absolutely it. And at this moment in time, again, I'm not in the school of overreaction so early on, knowing that it's a long season, but I am at the school of telling you the brutal truth. The Red Sox didn't do themselves any sort of favors in the offseasons to really address their pitching. I'm talking about the starting pitching. The bullpen, I expect, is going to be a lot better than what it was last season. You're going to have another season of Garrett Whitlock. I've seen what the man can do. That guy is nasty out of the bullpen. And you bring in Kenley Jansen. And Kenley Jansen is going to be a huge addition to that bullpen. There was a reason why the Red Sox allowed Matt Barnes to walk. They needed to upgrade in the ninth inning, and they did. But the starting pitching, on the other hand, they really left a lot more to be desired. Now, if the, for some reason the starting pitching does not improve over the next, let's say, six to ten games, only then would I say, hey, you know what? It's time to ring the alarms. It's time to ring the alarms. Because at that point, I would say that it's officially time to say that, you know what? will be the undoing for the Boston Red Sox in 2023. It's not their offense. The offense has shown that they, they can score and they can hit. It's the starting pitching. And any time that you have a starting rotation that that is questionable at best, that is mediocre to pedestrian, you're not going to win a whole lot of games in the major leagues. Even with the expanded postseason um, format that baseball instituted last season, it does not make you any difference. So my question to the Boston Red Sox is this. How do you fix what has been a glaring problem for the Boston Red Sox in the early going. How do you fix it? 
at this point, you can say that the starters have had their turn in the rotation. Now you get an opportunity to see what the Red Sox will do in terms of the starters going in their second turn in the rotation. And that is something that I'm going to keep an eye on beginning tonight. Because tonight for the Boston Red Sox, they're going to be starting uh, Nick Pavetta, who, if I'm not mistaken, is making his his um, his first start of the season. And then tomorrow, you are going to have Corey Kluber, who was your opening day starter last week Thursday. So starting tomorrow, Wednesday, your rotation is going to be going through its second turn of the season, meaning each starter is going to be having their second start of the season. But if anything, I think tonight for the Boston Red Sox, you need a quality star from Nick Pavetta. If you're out of score, I'm getting on my I'm getting on my knees and I'm saying, Pavetta, please. Whatever you do, keep the ball in the yard. And then secondly, please go deep tonight so we can preserve this bullpen early on and not have to tax guys early in April. Because it's a long year. And the last thing you want to ever have to worry about, especially should you get to June, is a taxed out, burnt out bullpen. And that you don't need. You need Nick Pavetta to go deep tonight. Because the Red Sox, the pitching staff, specifically the starters, have not done a good job of keeping the ball in the yard. We knew that, again... There were going to be question marks. We knew that there were going to be considerable concern for the starters in that rotation, but I didn't foresee them giving up the most home runs in the major leagues through the first five games of the season, or four games of the season, rather, excuse me. I didn't see that. But here we are. And I'm not talking as if that this is the end of the world. It's not clearly not the end of the world. Obviously, baseball is a long season. However, we do have to address certain matters in which that it needs to be talked about. And this is one of them. Starting rotation early on, very unimpressive. And will it change? It could change. But I talked about this yesterday on the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast on yesterday's episode, that after this series, the challenge really begins to kick in for the Boston Red Sox. They go to Detroit, and they got a four-gamer in Tampa Bay against the Rays, who is going to be really good again this year. And then you got the Angels, who could potentially be very problematic for a four-game series that will lead you right into um, Patriots Day on April 17th, and then a three-gamer against the Minnesota Twins at home. So if you're the Boston Red Sox, you got to pick it up in terms of your starting rotation now. Otherwise, you're going to be behind the eight ball, and you're not even in late April as of yet. Those are just my, my food for thought for the Boston Red Sox on this Tuesday morning as I do this recording of this podcast. And if you got anything you you want to say, whether you agree or disagree with my Red Sox thoughts, have at it. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Shukri Writes, at S-H-U-K-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T-S. 
that's where you can find me. Coming up next, I want to share with you a thought that I have in terms of the Patriots. And even though we're in early April and the NFL draft is just a few short weeks away, I am concerned with what I am seeing. I want to share with you my thoughts on that coming up next here on the Believe in a Hub of Champions podcast. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Believe in a Hub of Champions podcast with your host, Shukri Wrights. Hope you are enjoying the episode so far and have stuck with me through the second part of the podcast, which I thought it would be a good time to really talk about the New England Patriots because it's been a while since I've talked a little football. And now we are well into the offseason, the NFL draft coming up in about three weeks time. I figured that now would be a good time to really talk about the Patriots my thoughts on what is concerning me in regards to the organization and where they currently stand right now. Because as of right now, there's a few things down in Foxborough that just isn't sitting right with me. Number one, what is the direction of the New England Patriots at this moment in time? Number two, What are we going to do in terms of the quarterback situation, in terms of if Mac Jones is the guy or not? And then number three, what's the deal between Kraft and Belichick? It just seems like there is some sort of a disagreement between the two men that they're not giving the same message to the media at all whatsoever. And it just seems to me that there is a level of Accountability that's lacking down in Foxborough. Because if we're going to be completely honest, it has been four seasons now in which the Patriots have essentially have been very much mediocre to average at best. The lone exception was 2021. That was Mac Jones' rookie season. And they were average. They were okay. They weren't great. They weren't overly that good. But they were okay. They were average. Average enough to make the playoffs and get their doors blown off by the Buffalo Bills. So here we are after the 2022 season and the disaster that was. We thought that this offseason was going to be one in which that you are going to see massive changes, right? So why does it seem like, and this brings me back to the third point that I made, why does it seem like there's a level of the lack of accountability from the Patriots organization? And to be frank with you, I don't know which 
one is it coming from? Is it coming from Bill or is it coming from Kraft? Or is it possible that it could be coming from both? Because that is a possibility. Now, one would think, well, what, what, do you, what does shoe mean by lack of accountability? Well, dare I tell you, what I mean by lack of accountability is, is that it just seems like Bill is not getting the message that he actually needs to do more to get this team back to where it needs to be being legitimate contenders. And on top of that, on the craft side of things, it just seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just going to come out and just say it swingingly, that it just seems like Kraft is too afraid to make any sort of substantial move or decision that would upset Bill Belichick. And that is a bad sign if you are an owner of an organization that once upon a time had expectations to win on a consistent basis. And those days are long gone. And it's not only because Tom Brady walked out that door at the end of the 2019 AFC wildcard game. It's long gone because along with Brady gone came an air of acceptance of mediocrity that has poisoned both Bill Belichick and as well as Robert Kraft. I, for the life of me, don't understand this. I don't understand how is it that right now, here we are on April 4th, at the time of the recording of this podcast, that the Patriots, and I'm hoping that they're not done, that they seemingly haven't really made any other substantial moves to improve the receiving core, which, ironically enough, brings me back to an earlier point that I made, and that was... What is the direction of the New England Patriots in regards to the quarterback situation? Because I look at this team right now as it pertains to the offensive side of things, and I'm specifically talking about Mac Jones. If you think that he is the guy, wouldn't it make sense that you give him the tools that he needs to succeed? I mean, Changing offensive coordinators or offensive play callers, and I'm using air quotes here, wouldn't just be suffice. That's not enough. That's one change. Congratulations. Anyone could have seen that. Even Stevie Wonder could have seen that. That you needed to make a change and move on from, from Matt Patricia. But you needed to add... To this receiving core, you need to add a number one receiver. That in itself, I think, was the number one thing on the to-do list for the Patriots, along with upgrading the offensive line and amongst other things. But let me stick with the receiver because remember the day that the news broke that the Patriots were signing Juju Smith-Schuster? Three years, $33 million. I said it at the time on Twitter, and I stand by it even more so now. If this is the only move that the Patriots are making in regards to the receiving core, we have a problem. Because 
this also ties in to the first point that I made earlier in terms of there was three points in terms of my concern for the Patriots. The first one being what is the direction of the New England Patriots? It just seems like the Patriots are busy driving around in that in that um, circle down in Bourne, Massachusetts right now on the Cape. And that's all that they're just driving around in circles. There's no clear cut direction. And if there is, what is that direction? But I want to go back to the plan in regards to Mac Jones because I keep thinking as I do this podcast and I keep talking about this. If you believe in a guy, if you want him to succeed as your long-term quarterback, if you truly believe in him, wouldn't it make sense that you actually do whatever it took to get your number one receiver? I've heard this for a while now. Go get DeAndre Hopkins, which I am absolutely in favor of. But that move hasn't happened as of yet. Will it happen? Who knows? Who knows at this point? I have no idea. We're all still waiting on that. But what if it doesn't happen? Now what? Are we going to go into next season with Juju Smith-Schuster as your number one receiver, Jacoby Myers gone elsewhere, and not having a true number one? And yes, don't get me wrong, I I like Kendrick Bourne a lot, but he is not a difference maker in terms of the passing attack. He's not. He's a complimentary piece. That's what he is. So if the Patriots want Mac Jones to succeed, why aren't you adding to his toolbox instead of subtracting? Who knows what the Patriots will do in the draft? That still remains to be seen. Because that is three weeks away. But this is what I'm thinking on the morning of April 4th, 2023. The Patriots have made moves enough to scrap the bottom of the barrel. But they haven't done enough to really put themselves over the top. Which brings me back to my first point. What is the direction of the New England Patriots? Because even right now, I don't think any Patriots fan could honestly answer that with confidence and say, well, we know the direction that the Patriots are going in and that things are going to work out in the end. Because there is certainly no guarantee of that. Absolutely zero. If preseason were to start tomorrow, which it clearly doesn't, it doesn't start for for another four months, you have question marks in terms of Mac Jones, in terms of the receiving core, and I am praying that the offensive line would be a lot better than what it was last year, most notably Isaiah Wynn. You're hoping that the O-line would be a lot better than what it was. You're hoping that the defense can continue to build. And the defense, I feel like, to a larger extent, I'm not concerned about. But I am concerned about the direction of the of the organization in terms of what is it doing? Is it investing in Mac Jones or are they planning to move on from Mac Jones at some point and they're keeping everything on a hush-hush right now? I think that's a very fair question to ask. So for you Mac Jones loyalists out there, let me 
present to you this. Let's say Mac Jones stays for another season. And that's a, that's a very real possibility. And he struggled like he did last season. What will your excuse be then? Give Mac Jones another chance? Or do you come to the ship of the realist of the NFL fans and realizing that, hey, you know what? Our quarterback isn't getting the job done. We need to get a new quarterback. Oh, and this is where things get real interesting. Remember that second point I made about Kraft and Bill seemingly being on opposite pages when it comes to like the media and stuff like that? This is where I believe that really rings to be particularly true. Lamar Jackson has made it abundantly clear he doesn't want to be in Baltimore anymore. I am amazed that there hasn't been more interest around the league for Lamar Jackson, most notably the New England Patriots. I'm genuinely amazed because if you are going to make this move, wouldn't you want your owner and your coach slash GM to be on the same page? And I'm just using that point as an example although it's not the only example there is but i'm using that specifically for good reason if you're truly in the business of winning and not just happily um collecting cash or should i say collecting money since they don't collect cash at gillette stadium anymore everything is is cashless there but if you're in the business of winning and not just happily collecting revenue from fans don't you believe that At some point, you're going to have to make a decision. Do you invest in Mac Jones or do you move on and find yourself another quarterback who, oh, by the way, happened to have won an an, an NFL MVP award, who happened to have won a playoff game, who actually is quite capable of leading a franchise to a Super Bowl? Wouldn't you have some sort of, like, decision that is made on both ends in agreement this is what we're going to do or this is what we're not going to do i don't get that sense at all and that's why i am concerned i am very concerned for the direction of this organization Kraft and belichick seemingly not on the same page and what is the plan moving forward at quarterback? I'm pretty confident that I've made my case very clear. And if you agree or disagree, let me know. Coming up next on the other side of this brief break on this podcast, I want to talk about the Boston Bruins for a moment and also maybe mix in a little bit of Celtics as well in the time that we got left in this pod. So we're going to do that, that and much more. Coming up next here on the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast. Right after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. 
So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast with your host, Shukri Wright. Hope you've enjoyed this episode so far as we are now in the last segment of this pod. And I figured before I end the pod that I would, you know, talk about the Boston Bruins for just a, a brief few moments. And there was a question that was posed to me on Twitter, and I think it's worth talking about. I'm going to read you this tweet that came to me. I believe it was like a couple of days ago it, about yeah it was like sunday evening and the question was posed to me by this if the bruins go on and end up winning the stanley cup would you say that this 2022-2023 boston bruins team is the greatest nhl team of all time i know i would and that's a great question, and it really is, because you think of the single-season greatest teams in NHL history, and we obviously know about the dynasties of the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens dynasties of the 70s, um, obviously of the 50s as well. We know about um, when the, De- the Devils used to reign supreme, um, in the early 2000s, and they won their Lone Cup in 95 as well. We know about, um, like, the Detroit Red Wings era. We, we know about those, those eras and those dynasties. But when you talk about the single greatest team in NHL history to win the Stanley Cup, most people would say the 1984-85 Edmonton Oilers, and, and fairly so. Others would say... The 1976-1977 Montreal Canadiens. If you said either or, you wouldn't be wrong historically. But what the Boston Bruins are doing right now, at 60-12-5, and and they're at 125 points right now, it is remarkable. They are very likely, and I mean very likely, there's no guarantees, but they're likely to either tie or break the single season record for most for the most uh wins in a regular season and they ha- they actually have a shot to 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 break the the single season record for the most points in an NHL regular season and if they happen to cap that all off with a Stanley Cup championship come June I think it is very, very fair. And you have to say that this is the greatest single season team of all time. Now, let's say if the Bruins were a middle of the pack team, they were like a number two or number three seed in the division, and they just went on to win a cup. They weren't as good as they are currently are right now. Would they be even considered to be an all-time great team? No. Hell, the 2010-2011 Bruins that won the Stanley Cup, they're not even talked about as one of the greatest NHL teams of all time. They're not in that conversation. But this team in 2022-2023, they are in that conversation, and rightfully so. Which which is why when someone asked that question to me on, on Twitter on Sunday evening, I thought it was a really good question. It wasn't a dumb question at all. 
it actually sparked some kind of conversation. And I'm glad that it did because, and I said this yesterday, that we have to really make it a point to live in the moment because we may never see anything like this again from a Boston Bruins team, at least regular season-wise. And maybe if they end up winning the Cup, I don't think we'll ever see a season like this ever again. But I do think that we are at that point where Absolutely. We, we've been at this point now for a little while now. But now that we see the finish line of the regular season li- clearly in clear distance, absolutely. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, in case if you haven't realized, the regular season officially comes to an end next Thursday, April 13th. Yeah. So we're only a week away from the end of, re- of the regular season. So the finish line is in plain sight. And we definitely can start having those conversations now. So, frankly, if the Bruins win the Cup and they and they really complete that historic season that they have had up until this point with a Stanley Cup championship, case closed, this is the greatest team of all time, I think, in my opinion. Just quickly, I just want to share with you a quick uh, Celtics thought. Um. And with the Celtics now getting ready to finish up the regular season as it is also within clear distance and clear view that the regular season is coming to an end. Right now, if I am the Boston Celtics, I am focused on securing that second seed in the East. If you get the number one seed, fine. Okay. But. Take care of business first tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers, who they're playing tonight in Philadelphia. And it's interesting that there are people that still believe that this team has a chance at the number one seed. I honestly think that it's a little too little too late. And after tonight, they have only three more games. They got the back-to-back against the Raptors on Wednesday and Friday at the Garden. And then their season finale, which is really hard to believe, it's actually Sunday. Sunday afternoon against the Atlanta Hawks. So right now, if you're the Boston Celtics, lock up the number two seed. I'm not even worried about the number one seed at this point. And I think that if we are, in fact, going to run into the Milwaukee Bucks at some point, whether it be in the second round, it probably be in the Eastern Conference more than anything else, Eastern Conference Finals, that is then only worry about that then. But for right now, this is a Celtics thing that should be focused on locking up the, the number two seed. They blew their chance to get the number one seed about a week or so ago, and that was their fault. But we're not here to cry about spilled milk. It makes no sense. You're in the playoffs. You're going to the playoffs. You ain't got to worry about no playing tournament. After Sunday's game against the Atlanta Hawks, you got – Essentially, a full week to rest up and get ready for the postseason. That's where your priority should be. Don't worry about the number one seed. Finish up these final four games strong and as well as in style. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Believe in the Hub of Champions podcast with your host, Shipley Wrights. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Subscribe, download, listen to it. Tell your friends about it wherever you get your podcast, and I'll talk to you again later. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.